0: Welcome to We Are I'm Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. Hello. Thanks for joining us as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest movies you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number three on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is The Godfather Part 2. Released in 1974, starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro as the leads, The Godfather Part II is a combined sequel and prequel of the 1972 film The Godfather, opening in 1958. Partially based on the 1969 novel by Mario Puzo, the film is written for the screen by Puzo and the film's director, Francis Ford Coppola. Just to clarify, this week's episode is not a continuation of last week's The Godfather, it is... Mostly discussing about the movie, The Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. It's just a coincidence that the sequel comes like a week Literally after this right one. After, yeah. yeah, which is kind of a good thing because we get to talk about it immediately after. I don't know if any other sequel directly comes Follows. in line.
1: Yeah, I don't think they do.
0: And we're not going to exactly go into hard spoilers right now, but we will be making the assumption that you have seen the first Godfather movie, so keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, I do. This movie pretty much picks up right where the last one left off. I mean, it's a little bit later but
0: yeah the last one was ended in 1955 and this one picks up in 58 so it hasn't been too much longer and doesn't look like much has happened
1: exactly which is nice for the audience because you don't feel like you've really missed anything
0: maybe that's why it's it's part 2 and not the godfather 2 because it's a continuation of the exact same story and not necessarily a that's, sequel
1: that's an interesting perspective i think it's very fitting as well and let's also talk about the fact that this This movie is really two movies. Yeah. Yeah, it could have
0: just been sort of released as a prequel and a sequel, but they've done a very good job at splicing them together and saying, no, this is going to be a a three-and-a-half-hour epic Mm -hmm. of just here's young Vito and young Michael's story running parallel with Vito's.
1: I think it's really interesting also... Um, I really wanted to talk about the use of Italian in this film because most of De Niro's scenes of young Vito are really, like, they're they're mostly in Italian. It
0: may as well be in Italy, even though it's set in New York. It's like Little Italy of all the immigrants coming over.
1: And I just really wanted to talk about how I think the use of Italian really rounds out those characters and really does something for the film in a way that, english couldn't have done for those scenes yeah you know what i mean like it creates an ambiance for the characters that they just wouldn't be able to portray if it was in english
0: you get the feeling of struggle and hardship and family and this foreign world that you're sort of trying to adapt to it's just a lot of things that you wouldn't get if you were just
1: a New York family yeah and i think again with you saying you might as well just be in italy you really could be, because there is English in those scenes, right? So there's times when characters are speaking English, characters are speaking Italian, and it's just, they seem so much more truly themselves in Italian. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you you look at these characters, like there was one character in particular, uh, Signor Roberto, who isn't particularly important, not really but I thought he was just such a token Italian character and pretty much all of his lines were in Italian. It's more conducive, that language, I think, to the nuances that we as non-Italians see as, you know, stereotypically Italian yeah. and created a more richer scape for that part of the movie.
0: I feel like this movie was is a lot more Italian than the, the first one, which was mm-hmm. very Italian. They actually went to Italy. Particularly with that opening scene with Michael's son's communion. It's all very Italian, Catholic. The way that they handle family and the food and just their culture in general just feels... It feels like you're watching an an Italian movie that's Mm -hmm. partly set in America.
1: And with my experience of other foreign language films, I think that was such a smart decision on the part of the director. Because I've seen... I've seen other actually Italian mafia films that were filmed in Italy, purely in Italian, and you wouldn't get that sense that they were trying to portray if if it was in English. I've also seen a Syrian film that was only in Arabic, and again, you you wouldn't have got the nuances because they don't exist in English.
0: Yeah, you'd be lost in translation.
1: Yes, whereas even though you're reading subtitles, I feel like you get more out of it Because it's not in English. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this one, I mean, this was made for an English-speaking audience, so they really did a good job of making sure you were really able to follow what was going on. That said, I think it was still better that way than if it had been in English.
0: I think that's quite an achievement, considering that there's barely any Italian people in the cast. Yeah. Al Pacino is New York born. Robert De Niro is New York born. His dad was a famous abstract painter. He was born in New York. The director was American. And the only real person who's Italian that worked on this is Mario Puzzo, Also New York born, but I'm sure he came from an Italian family where he drew all this influence from. And mm-hmm. he was a consultant on the film through writing the screenplay. I read somewhere that Robert De Niro had to learn... Sicilian for four months to do this role because he didn't speak a word of Italian when he got the role. Oh, really? Which is incredibly impressive because like you were saying about those Italian nuances, he nails it. Mm -hmm. Like, he he just feels like you're watching an Italian actor.
1: Well, and part of that probably has to do with the fact that he is Italian. Like, he's Italian-American and that he grew up in that. But again, like you're saying, you lose part of it in losing your language. And I think... That's why there's been so much emphasis put on preserving dying languages because you lose the language you you lose an essential part of that culture,
0: well, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things is to trying to preserve a language in a culture is because things don't translate identically,
1: yes, exactly, there's concepts that don't exist, yeah, in another one for sure, I wanted to also point out. I thought it was interesting and I've I've got friends who are native Italian speakers and I've noticed this with them also, but that I think it's interesting that so if you have a man who speaks Italian and English, he generally has a higher pitch voice in Italian than in English. And for women it's the opposite. They generally have a higher pitch voice. That's an in interesting English note than in Italian.
0: Yeah, because your friend who's Sicilian, she's got a very deep she's, Italian she voice. She
1: sounds very womanly when yeah she speaks Italian. And I just, I thought that was funny because I, I noticed it in the film and I started listening. I was like, it was true for every single person. It's interesting
0: <laughs> that you noticed that because I didn't pick up on it. Mm-hmm. But now that you mention it, it's absolutely, it must be part of the dialect, the way that they pronounce words and in mm-hmm. the pronunciation of their accents.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've noticed that too, even with other language speakers. I have a friend who is a native Spanish speaker, and he said he has to purposefully change his voice to be able to speak properly in Spanish. His voice is naturally very, very deep, and he has to make it higher pitch to be able to speak properly in Spanish, which is really interesting.
0: Language is interesting.
1: It is very interesting.
0: I think those scenes with De Niro, the flashbacks that are... Intertwined with the quote unquote present day in nineteen fifty eight are some of the more compelling scenes of the entire film. Like I really just wanted to see that character development more than anything. Vito. Yeah. Yeah,
1: more than more than Michael. We already it, know Michael. Yes. Right? That's
0: that's the thing. He's had his own movie, and I know Vito had parts of that movie that he nailed, but it's not it's a different time in his life, it's a different actor portraying him. And I think that because De Niro is so young in this. I didn't recognize him.
1: Oh, at first, I remember looking at him and I looked over at you, kind of out the corner of my eye, and I was like, is that Robert De Niro? And you're like, yeah. I'm like, that doesn't look like him at all. And I was trying to figure out what it was, and over time, I think he started to look more like...
0: Just in his mannerisms and yeah, the way he acts.
1: Yeah, because in the beginning, he seemed quite meek, honestly, which is so not within who he is as a person or an actor in what I've known of him. And so I think that's what it was, is that when he kind of developed that swagger is when we really started to recognize him as the actor we know.
0: Because you can't really recognize him as Robert De Niro, you kind of just think he's a no-name actor. In your mind, while you're watching him, it feels like he's Vito. And he's just just like, he's a no-name actor who's nailing it sort of thing. mm
1: mm-hmm. I think that contributes to the character development, because initially Vito's character is just this this nobody who got sent over to America by himself as a child, and has to make a name for himself, and that's exactly what he does. So not really recognizing the actor who's playing him kind of contributes to that development. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Well, what's the oldest movie that you've seen with Robert De Niro?
1: Probably this one
0: apart from this one like how would you have recognized him before have you seen taxi never, driver or no Raging i've Bull? never
1: um jackie brown that's the youngest jackie he's been brown in anything that i've ever seen him in. what was
0: that 95 96 no it was 97
1: i'm used to him having gray hair <laughs> in anything that i've seen him in i think i've seen older.
0: him in cape fear which is 91 that was like 17 years after this. So he he just looks very different. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've seen him in Goodfellas, which was 1990. So 16 years later, I saw him in that. And he does still have that mafia Italian in in Goodfellas. But he doesn't look like he does in this. He's he's probably in his early 30s in this film.
1: If that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think the point of intertwining a prequel and a sequel together, showing a young Vito and a young Michael, I think they're trying to show you... The same period of their of, of their, their lives, lives and how they reflect each other, both of them have young kids, and they're going through these things and trying to make a name for themselves. Vito is building it himself with his empire and this trust and respect and the way he goes about it and Michael is
1: trying to maintain it trying
0: to maintain it yeah he's he's trying to live up to his father's expectations, he was born into this family and he has to. He has to keep the respect of the older people who respected his father.
1: And I think, honestly, I think Vito had an easier time of it because there were no rules. You know what I mean? There were no expectations. And he was doing things for the betterment of his family and his community. Whereas Michael, honestly, doesn't seem to be motivated by greed, but seems to be motivated by a culture that has grown around this sort of crime family community that he doesn't necessarily really want to maintain, but he's kind of forced to. You know what I mean? Yes.
0: I think a very good scene that reflects that is right at the end, they show a scene that happened before the events of Godfather 1 about the son sitting around the table. Mm -hmm. And it was during the war, and Michael's just about to go off into the Marines. And in this scene, you see a couple of things. There's, there's the interaction with Tom where he says to Michael, me and your father have sorted this out for you. We have a plan. And Vito doesn't have that. He's building it himself. So Michael has these predisposed sort of ideas as to who he's meant to be and what he's meant to do. And you also see...
1: Well, and there's a struggle there too, because he's kind of fighting it. He doesn't want to fit into that box that's my point yeah that was
0: the point i was going to say he's also saying i want to go do this thing it's not to do with the family business and sonny loses his mind a bit in that scene because of that he's like how dare you because that is a scene as a sign of disrespect
1: to the family
0: but that's really just highlighting michael's character and he's saying i want to go fight in the war i want to go live my life and not my father's And that is a very good reflection of the entire movie because you get to see, here's a little bit of Vito's life, here's a little bit of Michael's, a little bit of Vito's, a little bit of Michael's, and then right at the end you see that scene and it just sums up, Michael is not his father. Mm -hmm. And I think that really encapsulates that. I think this movie is more about the family drama and dynamic than the first one was. It's, It's very much those dramatic scenes of Michael with his family and his men and... Those interactions with Kay, more so than the actual mafia scenes and the crime scenes.
1: Well, because th- it's been set up for you already.
0: That is, yeah, you, that's a good point.
1: With the first movie, it was developed and you were introduced and you came became very familiar with them. So now you, you have the opportunity to explore that dynamic.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that in the first film as well.
1: Unless it was six hours long. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah.
0: The most iconic parts of the first movie are very crime-oriented. They're very, like, sort of fast-paced sort of crime scenes. While this one, I felt like the most interesting scenes of it were those interactions with Michael and his people and those family dynamics. We didn't really get to see Michael as the Godfather in the first one. There was, like, one scene at the end... And then this one, you get to see him for the entire thing. What kind of godfather is he? How does he handle political situations and situations with his enemies and his family? And I think that is very interesting. And I think you couldn't really do it without someone like Al Pacino. I think he's great in that role. And that's why he was nominated again for the Oscar. And by the end of the movie, you really have a sense of who is Marco Corleone. How is he as a person and in this family business? How does he handle everything? And I think it's reflectively different to what his father was, which is why they probably have those two storylines in parallel. Mm-hmm. The very opening scene of the first Godfather, Vito is very sort of, he's very logical and, and business oriented and he knows what is best for him. He doesn't act emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes Michael does.
1: Well, because he's he's trying to preserve what he's always had. He's not trying to build it up or break it down. He's trying to just keep it the way it is. And the the nature of the beast is that in order to keep it that way, you have to continue a very specific dynamic that in reality just isn't possible to keep. You know what I mean? Everybody would have to stay in their roles for the rest of time. And I mean, those are all broken down within the first Godfather movie.
0: Especially when people keep dying. That's what happens in Mafia.
1: Exactly. So just, like I said, by the nature of the beast, it's impossible to maintain it exactly the way that it functioned adequately and efficiently.
0: I think you see that in the scene with Kay towards the end, when she tells Michael that she had an abortion instead of the miscarriage.
1: Because that would never have happened if he hadn't taken over as the Don. Because the person she fell in love with is not this person. Yeah,
0: he was very different to when you very first seen that character at the beginning of The Godfather.
1: I think it's interesting because he t- keeps talking about when she's pregnant, how does it feel like a boy? He hopes it's a son. He hopes it's a son. In the first movie, when we're first introduced to Michael and Kate, I don't think he would have cared. You know what I mean? I think he would have just been happy with a child. He's He's trying
0: to keep that legacy.
1: But he's already got a son. What does it matter? He's changed very much and become somebody he's very uncomfortable with. And I think you see that struggle all throughout because he doesn't like who he's become, but he knows he has to as Connie. And everyone keeps pointing out, you have to keep being strong like Papa was. Yes, he's just
0: got that weight of his dad on his shoulders.
1: And Vito, that's just who Vito was. That's why it was not a hardship for well,
0: he was him. a self-made man
1: exactly so that's what i mean like that's he knew how to do it he was good at it that's just what he did whereas michael that's not who michael was and not what michael did and that's why you see as he asked his mom in being strong can you lose your family she said no but absolutely you can because he lost himself and in losing himself everybody around him didn't recognize him and didn't want to be around him anymore so it just crumbled.
0: Well, a sign of that strength is shown by him eliminating Fredo. He's literally sh- having to show strength and losing his family in the process. Yeah. He didn't want to do it while his mother was still alive, which is... I don't is... think
1: he even really wanted to do it in the first place. It's just, again...
0: He wanted to show that strength.
1: And those he wanted to upkeep those rules. Yes. That he really didn't care about. And, I mean, you wouldn't have seen that with Vito because Vito didn't have any family. So it would have been easier for him to do that because anybody mm. who was his family he chose to be his family. If somebody crossed him who was his brother, it's easy enough for him for Vito to, you know, justify in his mind well actually he's not really my brother. Whereas for Michael to take out Fredo, how hard would that have been for him because that is his brother. You can't justify in your mind you can't get rid of the fact that he's blood yeah you know anyone who was blood who was Vito's blood Vito created he didn't have to choose anybody because his family was all killed
0: i was just saying that that notion of him trying to hold on to the status quo and keep going with the way it is and and cement things in time is seen in that scene with Kay because he says we'll just have another boy we'll just have another kid after this abortion, we'll just keep going. We'll have your happy family. He's just delusional as to what reality is. And he's got his eyes fixed on, but this is what it used to be. Why can't we just get back to that?
1: And that's really shown by that whole conversation in that scene. Because she just keeps saying, you're so blind. Yeah. Like he is. Because he he's just trying to maintain what he had. And it's just not going to be possible without his father in the picture.
0: I know we're making a lot of comparisons between Vito and Michael here. Even though... Obviously, they're not even in any scenes together.
1: But that's the whole point of the film. The
0: whole point of this film is to expand on who is Michael Corleone as a character and how does he reflect to the character of Vito. And I think it's done really well to reflect, here is Vito in his early 30s and here's Michael around then as well. Mm
1: -hmm. The first time we really see him become... The godfather.
0: The guy who is going to become...
1: The godfather. Yeah. Was the scene when he takes out Don Mm. Finucci. He's living in Little Italy, let's just call it that. Little Italy. And there's a mob boss going around, basically, not terrorizing, but threatening the people of the neighborhood. And he just won't stand for it.
0: He's sort of using his power to harass.
1: Harass and make money. You know, harass the people into giving him money. I think... Vito's motivation in wanting to get rid of him is twofold. I think, one, he thinks it's disrespectful to the people of the neighborhood. And two, he also sees that he can have an opportunity to get in on some of this action. Well, it's interesting
0: you say those two points straight after saying... He didn't like how he was harassing and making money because when Vito becomes the Don and the person that he he becomes, he's not like this other Don. He is trying to gain power through respect and treating people nicely. And you see that even when he does have power toward the end there, he doesn't do it out of threatening for violence no. and things.
1: I mean, I think people are afraid of him a bit anyway, but there's a vendor selling oranges. And he picks out some oranges and he, Vito goes to pay and the vendor says, no, no, it's free. And he says, that's very kind of you. I'll remember that. If you need anything, you come to me.
0: It's really showing you what the morals and ethics are of this character. Just who is, who is this person? And that is why I think that this is such a best part of the whole series like all of it is who is Vito more than michael and the family and all that stuff i just really want to see more of Vito, and i'm Mm -hmm. glad that they gave it to us and i think that that's really reflected in the in the actors like the first one you had marlon brando great actor second one you got robert de niro every actor who's played that character has won an oscar for their performances Mm. he's just such a compelling person and you can really feel for his motives he feels genuine
1: he's doing it for self game but he's not Doing it for self-gain at the expense of other people. At the
0: expense of others, really.
1: Unless they deserve it.
0: Unless they cross him, yes. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the first one. If you mess with my family, if you mess with my business, I'll come down on you. Otherwise, I'll be your friend. Mm -hmm. I really can respect that, and that's the point of the character.
1: Just to go back to the murder of Don Finucci... We were raving over that scene because we just thought everything about how it was structured and planned out was so clever.
0: There was no dialogue and there was there was only like ambient sounds of the background and yet you could tell exactly what his process was and what he was thinking and why he was doing it. He was just so smart.
1: And just even like the timing for when he chose to do it was so clever because it, he totally covered his tracks. Like, Of course you were going to get away with it because it was during, I think it was during an Easter festival. Um, I'm
0: not sure what the festival was.
1: Something very Catholic and religious with Jesus covered in yes, money there was and Jesus. fireworks and things.
0: Because it wouldn't have been Christmas in New York. we would have been freezing out.
1: No, it, w- it would have been Easter or some sort of yeah. Lent holiday. But he goes, he goes on the roof so that he can tail him without being seen. And he sneaks in through the roof and he... He unlocks else? the
0: latch with a piece of wire.
1: So that he isn't seen, he loosens the lamp bulb so that there's not enough light...
0: And I think that that loosening of the lamp bulb also delays him getting into the door. Yeah. So he has to stand there for an extra few seconds, giving him a little bit more time before he goes to open the door.
1: Creates a silencer with a towel around this gun, and he shoots him only exactly when the fireworks go off.
0: He had plenty of opportunity to shoot him before that. It's just that he waited just until the fireworks are going off, and then he shot him.
1: And he shot him a few different times, too always under cover of that loud sound and then he goes up on the roof he breaks the gun into a million pieces puts each piece down someone else's chimney
0: <laughs> it's a great reflection on character building like the whole that whole scene
1: and how he's so driven by logic he thinks everything through yeah right
0: he had anticipated every little bit of it
1: which you do see again not to go too much back to the first godfather but with the drug dealing scene, he can see he didn't want to get in on that even though it would have been very lucrative because he could see the flaws in he it. He could
0: see all the outcomes and he he did like a little risk assessment as to whether or not this is worth taking up upon.
1: And he didn't find that it was.
0: Yeah. I was looking at some of the reviews on IMDb and there are people on there who you either love it or you hate it. There's a lot of nines and ten after ten but there's a lot of four and fives and that could be a couple of things. People generally don't like To like the thing that's popular. That's just what happens. Mm -hmm. They just like to stand up against it. But I can also see why people wouldn't think that this is one of the greatest sequels ever. One of the greatest movies of all time. Because it's so slow paced. It's a three and a half hour epic. It's about character development and those little things about the interactions between the characters.
1: And I really think it's one of those films too. Just like The Godfather Part 1, you have to watch this At least a couple of times to be able to draw everything out of it. Because I remember, again, with this one, there was a point probably a third of the way through. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we had to pause it
0: a couple of times and be like, okay, let's just break down. What did we just watch for the last 20 minutes? Yeah, what happened? Because it's not entirely clear.
1: I feel like both of them, they very much want to... It's not laying it out for you. You're stepping into the story, and you're watching what happens. You know what I mean? They're not, like, spoon-feeding you, so this is what happens here, and then this follows on to the next thing.
0: And I think that's in the pacing. It actually reminded me of the same pacing of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. It's part one, two, and three, just like The Godfather. But they're long. They're all over three hours, just like that. It's a a marathon. It's an endurance event. It's not just quick succession of bang, 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 here's a bunch of points.
1: But even then, it is still easier to follow there because of the way they lay out the plot.
0: It is, but I'm just saying that that idea that you're just following along with this journey and it's going to take a while, you're... Picking up on the little things about these characters and these events and just like following along almost in real time for some of these events. It's just a very good storytelling approach, which I think is also seen in those Lord of the Rings movies, which is why they're so long. It's their endurance events. Do you want to see every little bit about this character and every little bit about these scenes and the way they interact Because that's what this is. It's a journey that you're going on. And a lot of people don't understand that. They think that it's going to be guns blazing, run in, just action movie maybe. Because it's about the mafia. And a lot of modern films are like that. And if you don't understand what kind of film it is going into it. I can see why you might get a little bored or disappointed in that. And that's kind of fair enough. You have to know what it is for you to truly appreciate it for the movies that they are. And another reason people mightn't like it as much is that not a great deal happens over the three and a half hours. We were trying to think of specific moments and things that happened since watching it to recording this, but we couldn't think of many because the movies, like you said, are about how Vito interacts with that orange vendor and how Michael interacts at his son's communion and his mother's funeral.
1: The way I really thought of it was as if, you know how in Harry Potter in... Whichever one it was where Dumbledore starts to take his memories and put them into... What's that thing called? The Pensieve. The Pensieve. And then, you know, you can go into a memory and you're just there observing it, but not really interacting. That's what it's like to be someone watching this movie.
0: That's interesting. So you're just, like, observing these snapshots. Yeah,
1: you're really just... You're not watching any blockbuster movie. You're actually just, you know, inserted within the dynamics of this family, and you're kind of watching how it plays out, and that is The Godfather.
0: Well, that's why it feels like there's not really anything propelling the story forward, because nothing really interesting happens in your everyday life.
1: It is a little bit more interesting, because they're a mob family.
0: So we apologize if we were more talking around the movie, rather than the content itself, because that's what the film is. And I think that was the idea when they went into this project.
1: Was to really just explore relationship dynamics, and not actual... Story arcs and plot points.
0: I do actually feel that Michael is more hard and more professional than he was in the first one. Obviously, because he's more of an experienced Don now. I was now. say,
1: he's become seasoned.
0: You can really see that in that scene where he's in Cuba.
1: Oh. And he's with... in the
0: street, and then there was that explosion.
1: And there's just no expression. Everyone like, else around oh, him That's interesting. <laughs> is
0: freaking out, and he's just cool and calm because that's just...
1: It's what he's become used to. And I think that's absolutely true that he has become... Experienced. He's grown a shell, really, as you would have to in someone in that position. You'd have to become kind of uh, normalized to a lot of that violence to be able to continue. And I just think it's interesting how quickly he seemed to have been able to do that too, because he was kind of forced into that role.
0: Mm. You mentioned last week when we were talking about the Godfather, that there was a scene... Where they were speaking Italian without subtitles mm-hmm. as a sort of way for the audience to sort of feel like the other characters in that scene.
1: I think that... Was that actually in The God, the Godfather? In the first one, yes. Yeah. I don't think there was any...
0: There was. When he went to Cuba, because Michael doesn't speak Spanish... There are a few scenes where he's looking confused and they're speaking Spanish around him. Oh. and there's no subtitles.
1: I think that was really interesting in both films a good an interesting directorial choice because what it does is it creates for the audience the feeling that the character would have. Yes. Um, and the scene you're referring to in the first movie was his meeting with Mr. Salazzo and the police chief at the Italian restaurant. And the scene, I believe, in this one is, like you said, when he's in Cuba meeting with, I, I think they're mob associates. And I just thought it was a really kind of cool meta moment to be able to sit back and say, I don't know what's going on here. Why don't I know what's going on here? And then you realize, oh, well, nobody really knows what's going on mm. here because none of us can follow the protagonist or the main characters or us, the audience.
0: As a whole, I feel like this movie had less iconic scenes but i kind of liked it better as a whole
1: i found it was easier to follow yeah this one
0: well that's because you already know the names of the characters and the first one sort of had that as i'm not really sure who everyone is but this one you didn't obviously have that it was still a little confusing but something that i do think that this one does better that i had sort of an issue with the first one was the skipping in time There was quite a bit of skipping in time, particularly back and forth between Vito and Michael. But it
1: was contextualized.
0: It was. And that's what I had even made a note last week. Mm -hmm. I said, that's fine to do as long as you Mm -hmm. show me why, you know, Mm -hmm. show it to me and contextualize it. And they either did it with showing the actor, either here's Al Pacino, here's De Niro, so you know when you are. Or they had little cue cards up saying where this is, when this is. Or they show you little things like here's Little Italy. Here's a train. Here's some other technology that they wouldn't have then.
1: Some cues that really kind there of. There was a bunch of into... little
0: cues that mm-hmm. was done really well, which I didn't feel like there was in the first one.
1: I think this was a better movie, in my opinion, for all of those reasons. Or at least better in those regards, which made it a better movie. You know what I mean? It's
0: almost as if the filmmakers on it have learned from the experiences of the first one.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: When I go to watch these movies again, I would really like to watch the Godfather saga and see how the two movies splice together in a chronological order.
1: Yeah, I'd be really interested to see that as well. I'm really interested to see it as well because I think it'll kind of add some dimension to the plot and make it easier to follow, but also make it more interesting for the audience because you're going to have elements from each of the movies that you would be familiar with but they're presented in a new light and I'd, I'd be really excited to see exactly what that looks like and how it plays out
0: well i think that sums up our discussion of godfather part two maybe one of these days we'll look at godfather part three
1: and maybe we'll have a conversation and fill in on what we think about that too
0: we have been daniel and brenton this week thanks for joining us Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening.
1: Until next time, thanks for watching. Watching? Oh, thanks for listening. (laughs)